0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. Now, we are a church in the Milwaukee area, Oak Grove, Gladstone, North Clackamas. We uh, meet in person and online every Sunday morning. Now, I think some people are wondering, what is it like to meet in person during COVID. Uh, We have our chairs spaced out appropriately. We've taken all of the precautions that we know how to take. Everyone's wearing masks. We're not hugging or high-fiving. We're doing all the things that that they say you're supposed to do. Uh, We have opportunities for kids, but we don't have kids' ministry. Uh, What we do have is our fellowship hall is converted into a giant kids' uh, play zone, and uh, kids are free to go back there with their parents, or if they're old enough, they can go back there by themselves. And uh, if they just need to run off some steam, but our services are a little shorter in person and kids are welcome. In fact, the other the other day I was uh, praying during service and, uh, you know, one of the kids was making some noise and it's just such a beautiful sound. Um, so we're thankful for our kids and our families and, and that's what it's, you know, What 2020 and and coming into 2021 is. Uh, So we meet in person as safe as we can. We also meet online every Sunday morning, and we are glad that you are here, whether you're on our audio feed with Apple Music and Spotify, uh, and you can just search Faith on Hill for that, Uh, whether you're uh, watching the video either at faithonhill.com or on our uh, Facebook page. And if you're on our Facebook page, welcome. We are glad you are here. We do feel the best interactive and, uh, Viewing experience is through our website, faithonhill.com, but we are glad you are here. Welcome. Um, We're excited for what this new year has, and next week we're going to start a study in the book of Daniel, and uh, learning what it is to be followers of God while in exile. Today I wanted to talk about doubt. Doubt. I don't know what your Christmas was like. I hope that you had a fantastic Christmas. I know that Christmas in 2020 was very different. Um, a lot of our normal traditions either couldn't happen or they had to be modified in some way. But I hope as much as possible, you had the best Christmas that you could in 2020. I hope that that, uh, whether you were FaceTiming or Zooming with family, um, whatever whatever meals or traditions uh, you you follow and observe when it comes to Christmas, I hope that you had a great time. And I hope that that you uh, were blessed knowing how much God loves us and and how much that love is seen at Christmas. But what happens, because we talk about a season of hope, uh, a season of belief, a season of faith. We can have great hope at Christmas, but what happens if you have doubt? What happens if you're the person that's struggling at Christmas or the day after Christmas or two months before Christmas or two months from now? What happens if you're the person struggling with doubt during a season of hope? I want to talk about that this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 73. The Psalms... Are, are the collection of the lyrics of songs that the people of Israel would sing. And some of them are real short, and, and it was kind of ones everybody knew. Some of them were far longer, and they were only sung at certain times. But Psalm 73 is a song about doubt. It's a song about doubt. Let's talk about doubt. Doubt. Uncertainty. And really, when we say doubt, if we say, I have doubts, I have doubts about my faith. I have doubts about this part of what the Bible says. I have doubts about the Bible itself. I have doubts about whether God really loves me. I get that he might love other people, but does he really love me? I get that God might have plans for other people, but I doubt that God has plans for me. I hear people say that God is good, yet I don't know I have doubts about whether that's true. Let's talk about doubt. Doubt should never be a taboo subject, especially in the church. I know that that has not always been the case in the church in general. And sadly, just from talking to people, I know that hasn't always been the case at Faith on Hill. But doubt should never be a taboo or an off-limits subject in the church. Of Jesus. In fact, in fact, I believe that not dealing with doubt is unbiblical. I'm going to say that again. Not dealing with doubt or talking about our doubts and our fears or, or not having a place for those who doubt or not having a place for seasons of doubt, I believe is unbiblical. Here's why. First of all, we are about to read a whole chapter of the Bible devoted to doubt. So if the Bible makes room for doubt and fears and doubters and those who struggle, if the Bible's making room for it, then shouldn't we? Also, think about people in the Bible. John the Baptist, Mary the mother of Jesus, Peter Paul all doubted. You think of doubt, you think of doubting Thomas, right? But John the Baptist, Mary, Peter, Paul, they all had seasons of doubt. And I could go on. I could start naming people like Elijah. I could start naming, uh, you know, all kinds of other people in the Bible. But these, these biblical heroes of the faith all had seasons of doubt. John the Baptist was in prison and he he sent messengers to Jesus. Is this all real? Are you really the Messiah? Because he had doubt. There was a point where Jesus's ministry was really growing and his mother came in with his brothers and said, hey, you need to come home because they doubted that he was who he said he was. Even though Mary had seen the angel Gabriel and had experienced the, the conception and the virgin birth and all of these things, she still doubted. Peter doubted. Paul says that he was in the middle of a storm, literally. He was on a ship in the middle of the Mediterranean. It was in the middle of a storm, and they were starting to despair for their lives. And God had to send an angel in the middle of the night to encourage him because he was starting to doubt. Not making room for doubt or doubters is unbiblical. Yet, in many churches and in many Christian homes, It's the, some might say an unwritten rule, or even a written rule, that doubt is to stay hidden. If you have doubts, if you have questions, if you have fears, if you have uncertainties, keep them to yourself. We are going to be firm and confident, and we're going to speak forth victory and faith, and we are not going to ever express... Those moments where we have fears or uncertainties. So let's talk about Psalm 73. It was written by a guy named Asaph. Now, Asaph was a worship leader at the temple in Jerusalem. In in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 39, he's made the the second high, you know, second most of, not important, that's the wrong word. But he's, he's the number two worship leader. He's the assistant to the regional manager. And then by King Solomon's time, because that was during King David's reign, by King Solomon's time, he, he had become the chief musician for all of Israel. That's in 2 Chronicles 5. He was a faithful man. You don't get to that position without being faithful at the little things. He was faithful as a servant and, and rose to that position. He was a priest. He was a musician. He was an artist. So, so here's this guy, Asaph, who's responsible, who's respected, who's faithful. He has the role and the calling of a priestly office. He's a creator. He's a musician. He's an artist. And he's got doubts. Well, you know, those creative types, they have doubts, Please. I know plenty of non-creative, type A, business admin type people who who, who secretly have some of the biggest questions and fears that, that will ever go unspoken. So here's this guy, godly guy, respected guy, responsible guy, and yet he has doubts. But it's interesting to me that he starts off Psalm 73 a song about doubt, verse one with a declaration of truth. Verse one says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Surely God is good. You know, all of us have questions, have seasons of doubt, have things that we struggle with, have concepts that we wrestle with. Have truths that are hard for us to accept? I have found that in those seasons of doubt, and yes, I've had them. I'm not speaking to other people. I'm speaking about myself. I have found that in those seasons of doubt, in those seasons of fear, in those seasons of uncertainty, that instead of focusing on what I don't know, which might be my default position, it's important to focus on what I do know. I do know that God is good. And I've got all this stuff going on and all these questions in my head and all of these uncertainties, but I know that God is good. If if you're at a point in your life where you don't know, you're unsure, when was the last point in your life that you knew and you were sure? Backtrack to there and then see where you're at. There was a point in my life where I was like questioning everything. Like, should I have done all these things? Should I have gone this way? Should I have made these choices? And I was backtracking to a point where I said, no, I know, I know that, that God was leading me and I, can, I have evidence, I have proof that God was working in my life and leading me this way. And where I'm at right now, this moment of uncertainty, this moment of doubt is because I'm in the middle of a storm, but, but I'm in the middle of the storm because of a moment of certainty. Because of a moment of faith, because of a moment of, of assuredness. And so, in this storm, in this doubt, in this uncertainty, I am going to declare that truth. Surely, God is good to his people. Surely, God has been good to me. And surely, God will be good to me because he loves me. Now, verse 2 acknowledges doubt. Verse two, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. So he's he's saying, I almost lost it. My feet almost slipped. I almost lost my foothold. I lost my foundation. I lost my, my bearing, my center, my compass. Pick your metaphor. He's acknowledging his doubt. He feels safe to express it. You know one of the things that uh, my generation gets ripped on is this concept of safe spaces. And and I think that there is definitely some ridiculousness in the whole safe space concept, but I think there is some truth. And I I will say this quite honestly. I'm about as old as you can be and still be labeled a millennial. And and as a pastor, I have been in meetings and in conversations with baby boomer and Gen X pastors. And when I express any uncertainty, it's like, boom, a hammer gets dropped. So I understand that there are places and times where somebody hasn't felt safe. Again, the church, Christian homes should be safe places for people to just be honest and say, this is where I'm at. And I appreciate that. In verse verse one, he starts off with the declaration of truth. But in verse two, he openly and boldly acknowledges his doubt. And then he starts to talk about and directly name and address his doubts. Verse three through nine, he talks about circumstantial doubt. Verse three, for I envied the arrogant When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. They are callous. Their callous hearts, uh, sorry, verse 7, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice and arrogance. They threaten opposition. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? And what he's saying is describing a world that's not too dissimilar from ours. You don't have to look far to see that there seems to be a double standard, there seems to be a double standard between how some people receive justice in America and how others do. Do you remember that guy, Brock Turner, the Stanford student? Raped a girl. Got barely a slap on the wrist. You think the same would have happened if, if the situation had been different, if he hadn't been from a privileged background? We we know that there, that there is injustice in this world, and he's looking around at his circumstances, and then he sees other people saying, hey, if you can't beat him, join him. And that's what's going on here in verse 10 and 11. People see these wicked people, these God-rejecting people seeming to get ahead. They are ignoring what God says. They're doing their own thing, their own rebellion, and it seems like they're getting ahead, so others are following. So he's naming his circumstances, and he's saying, part of my doubts are coming from my circumstances. And then in verse 10 and 11, he talks about intellectual doubts. You know, people are looking and they're, they, they're, they're processing and they're saying, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? That, that's where a lot of our doubts comes from, right? We, we, we say, hey, that person's really smart and they reject God. Maybe they know something. That person's really successful and they are rebellious to Jesus. Maybe I'm missing out on something. There's circumstantial doubts, there's intellectual doubts, there's spiritual or emotional doubts. Now, what's the difference between uh, spirit and soul? It's a very hard thing to parse. I'd be a terrible theologian because they spend their whole lives trying to like divide that difference. And I just go, I know there's a difference between my spirit and my emotions or my soul. Uh, I-, I can't tell you 100% what that difference is, but I know it exists. It exists. But those doubts, those spiritual or emotional doubts, are very real. Verse 12: Surely in vain I kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence all day long. I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop there. Say, I want to say that again. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. So he is feeling emotionally beaten down. He says, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to stay positive. I'm trying to keep the faith. I'm trying to live in in the holiness of God. I'm trying to be more like Jesus is how we would express it. Obviously, he's living uh, in the old covenant, but if he was living today, that's what he would say. I'm trying to do those things. And yet it feels like every day is just a new punishment. Circumstances are bringing doubts. Looking at things intellectually is bringing doubt. All of that coming together is messing with my emotions, messing with my spirit, messing with with how I feel. And that can be directly linked to how my body is because my emotions and my physical health can be linked. Have you ever been so stressed out? That you pulled a muscle? That your body is so bunched up and tight from all of the stress and worry and concern that literally your your back gets sore? Your neck tightens up and you get a tension headache? So he's acknowledging all of these different sources of doubt and these different types of doubt. I don't think that's a bad thing to do, by the way. Where's my doubt coming from? Where's my doubt coming from? And then he talks about faith. I want to be really careful here. Because I think what happens when you are open and honest with a doubt is that there are are people, well-meaning, I believe, well-meaning people, who want to give you or me an easy answer to just explain away your doubt. I have no interest in giving you an easy answer. But he talks about faith. Asaph, who's being open and honest about his doubts, about his fears, about his questions, about his his struggles. He's being open and honest about where he's at. Circumstantial doubts, I have emotional doubts and maybe even you know clinical depression, I have um, intellectual questions, all of these things. And then he talks about faith. Then he talks about faith. Verse 15. "If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. So what he's saying is, if I had given in, if I had given in to all of these things that were threatening to consume me, then I wouldn't have had victory. In fact, I would have had defeat. I would have betrayed your children. He's saying I I had responsibility to other people. I, responsibility. I have responsibility to my wife, Angie. I have responsibility to my kids. Since I pastor a church, I have responsibility to you. We have responsibilities to others. And he's saying, if I let this consume me, it's not just me that gets consumed, but the, the people that I have relational connection with are affected. That's why suicide is such a horrible tragedy, because it doesn't just affect you. It affects so many around. And if doubts, fears, emotions are threatening to overtake you, reach out. Reach out. And he says, I tried to understand this and it all troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary. Till I entered the sanctuary. The sanctuary of God. And he begins to look at his faith. And he begins to look at who God is. Remember he started verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel. And, And he's focusing not on the things he doesn't understand or the things he doesn't know. But he's going back to the things he does understand. The things that he does know. I know that God is good. I went and I focused on God instead of my doubts. They're still there, but I focused on what I knew instead of what I didn't know. And then, let me read again here, I entered the sanctuary of God, verse 17, then I understood their final destiny. Surely, You place them on slippery ground. This is speaking of the wicked, those who are rebelling against God, those who will not repent, those who do their own thing instead of walking in God's good and true ways. He says, verse uh, 18, you will surely place them on slippery ground. You will cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was brute. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. So what he is saying is, A strong faith is a connected faith. A strong faith is a connected faith. He's saying that I almost slipped. I almost was overcome. I almost let all of these things get me. But then I entered the sanctuary of God. Prayer, worship, connection, because there are other people there, community, fellowship to hear the word of the Lord read out loud, to hear the praises of God proclaimed to you yourself. The sanctuary isn't church necessarily, that's part of it, but even in our own private heart and space to make room and say, I'm going to bring myself to focus on Jesus. And if my faith is totally independent and isolated, I don't believe it's as strong as it could be if my faith is connected. If my faith is connected to other people and connected in community and connected in active participation, I believe that I'm better off when I am surrounded by others. I believe that I am better off when I am in close community and relationship with other brothers and sisters in Jesus. And not just with people, but directly connected with God. I believe that God, the Holy Spirit works today exactly like he worked in the New Testament. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead wants to, can, will, and is working in the lives of Christians today. God's Holy Spirit is at work and that the more I am connected to Jesus, the stronger my faith is. Does that mean that if I'm in a season of doubt or a season of uncertainty that I have sinned and and I'm not as connected to God as I should be? No, not necessarily. Again, that's why Asaph publicly names his doubts and their sources and where they come from and what's causing them. Maybe you are in a season of doubt or uncertainty or fear or a lack of faith and it is because you're disconnected. Let's just be open to that possibility. No shame, no condemnation, but let's be open to that possibility. Maybe that is where this is coming from. That's why you triage these things. That's why you why you why you reflect and you have Serious introspection, and you, you kind of start to analyze what's going on, just like Asaph is doing here in Psalm 73. But maybe it's not. Paul doubted. Elijah doubted God right after one of the most powerful and miraculous events in Elijah's time as a prophet in Israel. And, and yet the next day he doubted God. So it's, it's not saying because I have doubts or fears or uncertainties that I am, I am not connected to God. Maybe that's the case, but maybe it's not. Maybe circumstances have surrounded me and I'm here because of my connection to God, because of my faith, because I'm where Jesus has led me to be. And now I'm in the middle of the storm and I need to grip tighter to my faith. It's not that I haven't been gripping my faith. It's just that I need to grip it tighter. And then how does he end? Verse 28, but as for me, it is good to be near God. Again, maybe it's not that you you haven't been gripping to your faith. It's just that we just need to keep gripping. Grip tighter, grip longer. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. He starts with a declaration of faith, a declaration of truth. Surely God has been good to his people. He ends by saying, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your good deeds. But in the middle of that is all of his fears, all of his doubts, all of his uncertainties, all of his questions, all of his troubles. Faith is a safe place for doubt. Faith is a safe place for doubt. There are things that I have trouble with that I question about my faith. Questions I have that I don't have good answers to. And that's different for every person. Some people struggle with God's moral truth. While others struggle intellectually. Others have no trouble believing God's truths, but we have trouble living them. Others have trouble with those who don't. Maybe we have, you know, I'll tell you, I'll just be honest and I'll name some of the things that I struggle with in our faith. I have a really hard time understanding certain things in the Bible. I have a really hard time understanding the way that the Bible approaches slavery. I do. And that's where I have to trust that surely God is good. There are questions that I have. Do you know when it comes to Genesis, I don't have any real big problems with Genesis chapters 1 through 3 or 1 through 5, the creation accounts. Um, I have problems with with Darwinian evolution. I don't have problems with the creation accounts. But I'll admit that I have some questions and I have uncertainties and I have things that I don't know which lead to doubt when it comes to Noah. I still tend to believe it, but I'm, I'm just being honest about things. And I'll, I'll be honest, too, that there have been times, I remember once I, I, was, I was preaching at a previous church, and I shared that I, I struggled to understand how the Bible approaches slavery. And somebody came up to try to give me like the easy answer. And I was like, that's great. If that easy answer works for you, it doesn't for me. And so I'm in faith, trusting God's goodness. I am in faith trusting that that God's plans were good, even if I wrestle with how that works out. I'm just being honest. Faith should be a safe place for our doubts. And let me say this. One of the reasons that I can rest comfortably is because faith, it doesn't just erase our doubts. I I don't think it's that easy. I think faith helps us overcome our doubts. It's kind of what the Bible talks about, having peace that passes understanding. Faith, faith is to the point where I have these questions, these concerns, these doubts, these fears. And yet, because I have known the goodness of God, because I have been connected, because I have experienced the work of God, the Holy Spirit, because I'm seeing God do things in the lives of people and in my own life, I can know that if God's working in this area, that I can trust him with this other area that I haven't seen that victory yet, where I haven't, had full understanding yet, where my questions or my doubts are still very real. But I stand in faith. I stand in faith because I trust that God is good. I trust that God is true. I trust that Jesus really does love the whole world so much that he died so that we could have everlasting life. If you have doubts and you're a believer, I want you to feel safe here. To be open and honest about them as you feel safe, but know that God loves honest questions and he can give us faith to walk through these times. And if you are not a believer, I invite you to come to Jesus with all of your questions and with all of your doubts. God bless you.